welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am the co-anchor of this news episode, Austin. And these are your headlines from this week that caught my eye. I'm here with my handsome co-host, Austin, who is eating food off of a foil piece of foil and plate. Like, could we get any noisier? You've got to be kidding me. I will be away from the mic and fairly quiet through this episode. Kelly's already upset with me, but I promise it's going to be smooth sailing. So let's get into the news, Kelly. Okay. And then at the end, we have some positive words from Austin. Always. I don't know what it what it's going to be. He's going to surprise us all. So let's go ahead and dive in, shall we? I'm going to move across the room while I eat and I'm going to listen to you. That'd be great. So if you follow me on TikTok, you may have seen one of my recent viral videos about a boy who went missing out of Eaton, Indiana. His name is Scotty Morris, and he left home on March 16th wearing only a t-shirt, shorts, and sneakers. But the t-shirt he had on has been cause for concern. On the night of March 16th, Scotty Morris got in trouble by his parents. It's unclear what he did to get into trouble or what his parents were punishing him for, but... They made him wear this white shirt with the words, I'm a liar, I hurt my little brother, something about cheating. The other words are hard to decipher because of the way that he's sitting in the photo, but there's some mention of cheating, and then there's like a drawing of a sad crying emoji up on the shoulder as well. The picture, can I say something? Yeah. The picture is super sad. It's so sad. It's like humiliating. Like, why, why would you humiliate your kid like this? Yeah. Um, In the picture, Scotty's eyes are super red. You can tell he's been crying. Um, I don't know what would possess a parent to humiliate their child like that and then make them pose for a picture in it. I don't understand it. But on the night of March 16th, around 8.30 p.m., Scotty left the house wearing that T-shirt, and there wasn't a sign of him for like over a week. The community was searching, praying for Scotty's safe return, and in the midst of his searches, his mom, or the searches, his mom, Felicia, released a statement. So I'm going to play that for you now so you can hear her. This is Felicia Morris. Uh, She is Scotty Morris's mother. We've been working with Felicia uh, for the last three days and uh, been very cooperative with our investigation. Uh, We had decided that that, uh, she wanted to talk to Scotty personally. Uh, so that's why we're here. Do I hold that? No, you're okay. Go ahead. Scott, I love you. And I want you to come home. And I know that you're mad and you're confused. And I'm afraid that you're scared of all of this. Everyone is out looking for you. And we're not trying to scare you. You're not in trouble. Okay? Um... If you're in a house and they come to you and you don't want to go out because it's the cops, reach out. Me and Dad will come get you, okay? I love you and I just want you to come home. I need to know that you're safe. Please just call 911. Tell anyone. Just, I need you home. I just need you home, okay? And I love you so much, okay? So I know it sounds like she was crying in that in that clip, but if you watch the video, she doesn't shed any tears. She never once says sorry for making him wear that humiliating shirt and then blasting it all over social media in an attempt to find her son, which that part I get, but um, I just don't get taking the picture of him in that shirt. I really don't. And so fast forward to this past Friday, and he was found. 
So he was found in a relative's home. I'm not sure who. When he was found, he was talking to his mother. I don't know if that was on the phone or in person. But when police arrived at this relative's house, they found Scotty and he was talking to his mother. So all that I've gathered since is that he is in protective custody. He was checked into a hospital to get checked out, just make sure he was okay. Because when he left, all he had on was his T-shirt and shorts and and shoes, and the lows were getting into like dangerously low temps. So there was there was fear that if he you know was out in the cold, he could freeze to death. Um, but thankfully, he was found. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen if he's going to have to go back to his parents. You know, unfortunately, our system is so messed up that a lot of times kids go back to abusive situations because courts think it's just the absolute best thing for kids to be with their parents. Um, despite some of the messed up stuff that they do. And so, you know, this, this one doesn't set well with me. Um, if there are updates, you can be sure that I will let you know, but that is all, that's all I have for now on that story. You have anything to add? Yeah. It's just assumptions about what his home life is like based on seeing that photo, which is really sad. Mm -hmm. You just hope, you know, at least it changes them and he has a good life because it's, I don't know. That whole thing is bizarre and sad. I see the word bizarre a lot, but this stuff is bizarre. It was. And I really, really hope that with all the backlash they've been getting, because they've been getting a lot, mm-hmm. um, rightfully so, but I hope that this backlash is teaching them that the way they did this punishment was very, very wrong right. and embarrassing. Not just for Scotty, but for them. Mm-hmm. According to a press release from the Aurora Police Department, a dentist from Colorado was arrested early on Sunday morning on suspicion of murder in connection with the poisoning death of his wife. I watched your TikToks on this. Kelly has like three or four TikTok videos on this. I was hooked with how you told him. You did a really good job, and this story is nuts. Thank you. So the arrest affidavit came out. It's 52 pages long, and I did read the whole thing, and so I'm here to tell you exactly what we know. She also read all of the text messages between them for like a month. Well, it was for um, the first part of March up until she died. So all the text messages that were between um, Angela and James— I did read them. So, mm. and I'm going to just kind of talk about what I thought was, um, that, that really stood out, I guess. Mm-hmm. So according to the arrest affidavit, Angela Craig went to the hospital on March 15th at approximately 11 a.m. complaining of severe headaches and dizziness. She was accompanied by her brother and then her husband, Dr. James Craig, met her there. About three hours later, Angela experienced a seizure and began to rapidly decline. She was placed on life support in the ICU, but doctors could not figure out what was going on. Every test they ran left them more and more confused. During this time, a friend of James, who was a very experienced nurse, and I believe but haven't 100% confirmed this because it is redacted, the name is redacted, but I think it's actually his business partner's wife that was texting him, asking about Angela's condition and for any updates. And James seemed to kind of take this really lightly. And in one of his texts to this woman, who I think is named Michelle, um, he says, quote, if it wasn't my wife, this would be kind of a fun puzzle to try to work out. Weird thing to say. Weird, right? I mean, if I was in the hospital, severely ill, that is not something you would text, you know, your buddy. You would never say, this would be fun if it wasn't my wife. Yeah, no, it's not fun, period. 
Yeah. Very weird thing to say. But doctors decided to remove Angela from life support early on Sunday morning. And James's business partner, whose name is Ryan Redfern, came to the hospital to visit James and Angela and revealed to a nurse that he had some suspicions about James. He told the nurse that James had ordered potassium cyanide for their dental practice, but that there was no medical reason or purpose to order that for a dentist's office. So the office manager also noted that she received the package at the office and that she grew concerned, especially after hearing about Angela's symptoms. So she Googled the symptoms of cyanide poisoning and noted the alarming similarities. A nurse also reported that James came to visit his wife in the hospital and apparently had another woman with him. And I don't know if that is completely factual, and I'll explain that in a second, okay? So hang with me. But um, when his devices were searched, it was revealed that he was exchanging romantic emails with another woman who is an orthodontist out of Marble Falls, Texas, named Karen Kathleen Kane. So his business partner also revealed to authorities that their medical practice was in dire straits financially. His partner, Ryan, said that he acquired the practice in August of 2022 and described James as a risk taker and found out that he had filed for bankruptcy in 2021 and was on the verge of bankruptcy again. James also told Ryan back in January that he and Angela were having marital problems. So police say, quote, when the suspicious details of this case came to light, our team of officers and homicide detectives tirelessly worked to uncover the truth behind the victim's sudden illness and death. Division Chief Mark Hildebrand said in this press release, quote, it was quickly discovered this was, in fact, a heinous, complex and calculated murder. I am very proud of our major crimes homicide units working hard in solving this case and pursuing justice for the victim, end quote. So this was not the first time that James had poisoned Angela. Angela's sister told police that their marriage was tumultuous and that James tried to poison Angela six years ago. He says that he actually was going to try to kill himself and that he drugged her so that she would not interfere with his plans to commit suicide. What a bullshit story. Bullshit. Exactly. I was drugging her so she wouldn't interfere with my suicide attempt. Really? So you couldn't have just like driven somewhere and done it away from home? I think that is complete bullshit. I think in reality, he probably tried to poison her. It didn't work. And so he had to try again. Mm -hmm. Um, But she ended up finding out that he actually drugged her. And so this was kind of plaguing their relationship. It was like a cloud over them. In fact, a few weeks prior on March 6th, James and Angela worked out together that morning, and James made Angela a protein shake or a pre-workout shake. And after the workout, Angela became faint and dizzy, and James took her to the hospital. Later that same day, after Angela was released from the hospital, a nurse caught James in a medical exam room at their office using the computer inside that room. She thought this was odd because he had a computer in his office, And he had a laptop that he regularly took home. So in my personal opinion, I think he was ordering the potassium cyanide through this computer in hopes that it wouldn't be traceable to him since it wasn't a computer he normally used. The following week on March 13th is when the package of potassium cyanide arrived at the office. The package was addressed to James and James instructed the office manager not to open any packages for him. 
But the package was opened by another employee who didn't know. And then the office manager noticed a packing slip that read biohazard potassium cyanide. The following day, March 14th, Angela was released from the hospital after spending about five days there. And while she was there, James was texting her constantly. And the texts were very, very lovey-dovey. He seemed to be this caring, doting husband. These are the text messages that I read that I'm, I was referring to in the affidavit. And a lot of them are just kind of the same. Um, they're very repetitive. But he seemed to be very caring, this doting husband. It seems obvious to me, especially with the way she's reacting, because a lot of her responses are kind of just dry and cold. But also you have to remember she's in the hospital with a severe headache, these complications that the doctors can't figure she's out. She's dying. She's literally dying. Yeah. She doesn't she may not know it in that moment, but like he he freaking does. Yeah. And he's texting her stuff, you know, just talking about how much he loves her. And at one point, while his wife is in the hospital suffering, he texted her shortly after midnight saying that he had just woken up from a sex dream he had about her and that he loved her and wanted her. Doesn't seem like the time or the place. Thank you. <laughs> like coming and from I'm a, a dude. man, I'm a dude. I really appreciate that. Well, I'm a guy and I, yeah, like, that's, it's just like. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's <laughs> like, not the that's, place. That's what comes to mind. But the day that she was discharged on the 14th, she actually made accusations that James had poisoned her and said something along the lines of, quote, there are poisons that they don't test for. So it seems like she may have known that this was still a possibility. And at one point during their texts, he says, she says something along the lines of, I feel drugged. And he says, I know that must be triggering for you given our history, but just for the record, I didn't drug you. So when I say that, you know, this was like looming over them, she knew six years ago that he tried to do this once, and now she's going through this inexplicable, these inexplicable symptoms, mm -hmm. and she's like, oh, my God, is he doing this again? There's so much, though, that we don't know. I don't know if she ever told a nurse or a doctor that, like, he had drugged her before, and I don't know if it's happening again, or if maybe she was kind of gaslit into thinking, no, he surely didn't. He's being so lovey-dovey. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. And I don't know how she was drugged the first time, but this time there seems to be a very clear intent to kill her because of the stuff that he's trying to use. So the next day, March 15th, was the day Angela went back to the hospital. And at this point, James's business partner, Ryan, alerted nurses to his concerns about this package that came to the office. And he was wondering if it tied into what was going on with Angela. Now, mind you, that package was delivered before she entered the hospital and before she was released. So they kind of overlap in a weird way. And it's like, then what could he have poisoned her with if he didn't even have it until after she was admitted, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll answer that in just a second. But um, regardless, Ryan told a nurse about this. Um, but unfortunately, it was too late because at this point, Angela was declared brain dead. So the nurse that he told was a mandated reporter. She alerted authorities and an investigation immediately ensued. And shortly after Ryan admitted this to the nurses, they must have said something to James to tip him off because James called Ryan, but Ryan did not answer. So James sent him the following text. I'm going to read it to you word for word. He says, quote, good morning, Ryan. Thank you for taking my patient load today. I want to make an urgent plea to you. If we were ever friends, please do this favor for me. Please don't talk to anyone about what we talked about last night, including any law enforcement officers. 
You are under no obligation to answer their questions unless you are served a subpoena and you will do more damage than good to my family by continuing to insert yourself into this. Angela is gone and I am devastated. There is nothing that can bring her back and I want desperately to tell you all of the details so that you can better understand what's gone on behind the scenes with her. There's so, so much that you don't know that I wish you did. If you knew everything, this would make so much sense to you. It will justify everything I'm doing. But there's no use in telling you right now. You and I have a history of you and the other partners and Jackie all talking about me behind my back and deciding what you think is best, and then you're always the fall guy that has to pull the trigger or tell me what you've all decided about me. In fact, yesterday you didn't even come to me. I had to seek you out. You have never given me the advantage of talking with me first. You just decide and then act and hope I'll pick up the pieces later. This is a pattern in our business dealings and now has become a factor in our personal dealings. Let me paint a picture for you of what this has done. Yesterday, I had to tell my kids their mom was not going to wake up and they were to say their final goodbyes. That was 6.45 p.m. The hospital said we could bring the kids up to say goodbye at that time, but because of the investigation you opened by your incomplete information, the hospital made those poor, grieving, hysterical kids wait until after 10 p.m. to see their mom. After an hour hour or so of saying goodbye to her, we went home just before midnight only to have our house sealed against our entry by the police. Instead of getting to go home and find comfort, they were met with flashing lights and cold, unfeeling cops, and the kids, scared and confused, had to go to sleep at the same time of a, or at the home of a ward, ward member. Family is starting to come into town today, and I have to tell them why they can't come to my house and try to explain why. I have to hire a homicide attorney to make sure I don't end up being painted in the light that you know some hungry DA is anxious to paint me in because I am most likely going to be charged, even though that is absolutely not, in all caps, what happened. What a dirtbag. Ryan, I understand why you did what you did. I do. I get it. But if you had come to me personally, man to man, instead of talking to everyone else about what you thought you knew, I might have let you in on some details that would have made you less likely to cause this horrible storm. Man, Ryan, if you would only put me higher on your list of priorities instead of putting everyone else's opinions and gossip ahead of me, exclamation point. For that, I am very, very mad at you. I have talked to you about this multiple times, but you don't seem to care. And now what you thought was responsible has become reckless and so, so destructive. And so I'm asking if there was ever any love in your heart for me, please don't make this any worse by talking to any officers or anyone else about this unless you are legally forced to. And whoever else on the team you think is going to be questioned, I would ask that you privately ask them to honor this request too. Also, please do not respond to this text until I text you again. What a narcissist and an idiot. And like the fact that you can go do this crime and then sit here and try to convince people, oh, if you're such a good friend, you will trust me. There's so much you don't know. And I would never. Yeah, that's narcissist. I'm so mad at you, dude. Narcissist. Narcissist. It's pretty shocking, honestly, to read this message now after everything that's been discovered since. He was gaslighting Ryan so hard. And to read how guilty he was trying to make Ryan feel for a situation that James created is infuriating. Mm -hmm. 
you literally see this vile behavior in action. And when he says, quote, you will do more damage to my family. No, James, you did this damage. You've already done the damage. Yes, this Mm -hmm. is all because of you. The only thing Ryan probably regrets is not alerting alerting somebody sooner. Mm -hmm. But I mean, how could they have known? Like I said, the packages overlapped. So... On March 16th, a Child Protective Services caseworker met with James and his six children individually. Because I don't know if I mentioned this, but they have six children together. This caseworker said that James made comments about Angela being suicidal. He said that he had asked Angela for a divorce back in December and that since then he'd had to revive her multiple times because she tried to take her own life. But he also admitted in that interview that he had never sought professional help or treatment for Angela in the form of hospitalization, therapy, or any kind of counseling. And at the same time, none of her kids reported their mom ever being depressed, never made any mention of any suicide attempts. So obviously he's trying to paint this picture like she did exist. this herself. Yeah. On March 17th, police did a forensic search on the hard drive of the computer from that exam room where James was caught using the computer in the dark. By the way, can I just point out what a, like, God wink it was to have that nurse walk by at that exact moment to see him using that computer? Because if it weren't for the things that were found on that computer, it would probably be, be a lot harder to tie him to this crime. Mm-hmm. But, um, but they got it. They found that James had created an alternate email address on February 27th of last month. That's super recent. And that the searches that he made under that email address, like, which you can create a Google account with an email address. And so that is what he did. And they were able to find the searches he made on Google through that email address. So one of the searches was, quote, how many grams of pure arsenic will kill a human? And is arsenic detectable in autopsy? He also searched for chemical suppliers in the Aurora area and made a purchase on Amazon. And so there was a receipt from Amazon in that email account. And when they searched the order he placed on Amazon, they found an order for arsenic metal 99.9999% crystalline metalloid 10 grams for $13. You can buy arsenic on Amazon? That's crazy. That's crazy. But his browsing history also included YouTube videos for the top five undetectable poisons that show no sign of foul play, how to make poison, and the top 10 deadliest plants with, in parentheses, they can kill you. With an actual Google search also of how to make poison, amid those deadliest plants was one called oleander, So um, on March 6th, when Angela went to the hospital but was released the same day, and on that day, James made an order online for three quantities of oleandrin, one milligram. But these were later intercepted by FedEx and not delivered to James because authorities at this point caught on to what was going on, and so they intercepted that package. But the arsenic was delivered to his home. So I'll talk about that in a second. Searches through his new email address also revealed conversations he was having with a chemical distributor that he was purchasing the the potassium cyanide from. So just to reiterate, he was able to get the arsenic on Amazon, but had to get the potassium cyanide through this distributor. Um, And then, of course, the oleander, and he tried to get that too. So he's literally like stockpiling all these poisons, and he's like, I'm doing this, Mm -hmm. pretty much. 
Um, so he was emailing with this distributor and said that the reason he needed the potassium cyanide was because he was a surgeon and planned on performing a craniofacial reconstruction and that he was using this chemical to check to see if it would help with layering alternative metals. He even said that if it was successful, he would be published as, or it would be published as a paper in the National Institutes of Health. But rather than use this professional email address he would have had through his clinic to do all of this, right? Right, he's why, using the why cover one. up? Exactly. Yeah. He's using his personal one. And I wonder if the state will try to use you know, use this against him and find like this imaginary patient who needed a craniofacial reconstruction. Um, I just wonder how that's going to play out in court. Cause I assume he's probably going to plead not guilty mm-hmm. and that part of his defense will be like, no, I ordered this cause I'm a doctor. I needed this chemical for something you could never understand cause you're a layman, mm-hmm. but like, okay, who's the patient then let's see these records. And why are you using your personal email address and not your professional one? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm interested to see how that could play out. Um, Meanwhile, he told his office manager not to open the package because it was a personal package, right? But the package was opened anyway, and he tried to play it off, saying that it was a ring or a piece of jewelry for Angela. But they were like, no, we saw a biohazard warning on it. And the words potassium cyanide, like they confronted him with that. Why didn't you just tell him it was for that client for the facial reconstruction deal? Because they would have known that patient didn't exist. Exactly, right. Exactly. So then when they confronted him about that, he tried to tell them Angela wanted it ordered for herself. Oh, I was ordering it for her so she could harm herself. Yeah, because she's been suicidal since December. You know, it's like he's trying to – none of it makes sense. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't make sense. Dude's guilty. Dude's guilty. Uh, Regardless, the package was successfully delivered on March 13th, the day before Angela was released from the hospital, but only two days before she was back in the ICU um, that final time. So it's my personal opinion that she was poisoned with arsenic the first time and that she was in the hospital for those five days um, because of the arsenic poisoning. But then after she got out... Maybe she was given the cyanide, which killed her. Mm-hmm. That's just my personal opinion. But just by the way of like the deliveries of the arsenic being beforehand and the cyanide being later, I, I think that's probably what happened. So w- when is he in custody and when does this go to trial? Yeah. So let me continue. Okay. Another discovery from the hard drive was a relationship that James was having with the orthodontist out of Marble Falls, Texas, which is about an hour away from Austin. Emails between James and Karen Kathleen Kane were clearly explicit and romantic in nature, and it was revealed that James was flying Karen out to Denver to visit him, not once, but twice, even while Angela was in the hospital. So the first flight was for March 8th through the 10th, and Angela was in the hospital from the 9th to the 14th. The second set of flights was for March 16th through the 20th, and these flights were purchased on March 4th, which was the same day that the Amazon arsenic was delivered to to his house. The only reason I think he had it delivered to his house instead of the office was because Angela was out of town from March 1st to the 5th visiting a friend, so he knew that she wouldn't intercept it. Mm -hmm. Because part of my my thought process was like, well, why wouldn't he just have the potassium cyanide delivered to his house? And... Either he knew it would have to be delivered to a professional address because of of the chemical distributor rules, maybe, or he didn't want it intercepted by Angela. 
So this friend that Angela was visiting gave some insight as to why Angela stayed throughout the years, despite knowing that he poisoned her once before. And this friend, whose name I think is Tony, said Angela told her several times over the years that she wanted to leave James, but that he'd always convinced her to stay. Angela told Tony that James had run the dental office into the ground and that their finances were dire. Angela complained to Tony that James recently traveled to Las Vegas, where she said he gambled away over $2,000. When James updated Tony on Angela's condition, James said that he would not allow the hospital staff to conduct an autopsy. Red flag. Mm -hmm. Tony said that she pleaded with James, asking him, please do an autopsy, because if this is something genetic, you know, you would you should want to prevent your kids from falling ill, right? But James said he felt if they couldn't figure out what was wrong with her when she was alive, he wouldn't let them poke her more when she was dead. Well, now there's going to be an autopsy, right? I'm sure. Yeah. I would certainly hope so. So James was arrested, and he was brought into court on Thursday to be formally charged with first-degree murder. His next court appearance is scheduled for April 7th. The punishment for first-degree murder in the state of Colorado is life in prison. Good. Has the side chick been in the public spotlight at all or anything? So she has been photographed um, like around her home in Marble Falls, Texas. So a little background on her. She is going through a divorce. Uh, she has two sons that are like late teens, so they're older. Um, as far as I know, she did not take that second trip out to Denver. She didn't like get on that flight mm -hmm. because of everything that was going on with Angela, but she knew he was married and she knew after Angela died, she was like, I can't come and be there with you and, you know, try to console you as a friend while I know you're not just my friend. Like in her email that she sent, it was really selfish because she's like, I want to be there for you, but I can't do it in front of your family and pretend like we're not more than we actually are. Did they, so did she know that she was in the hospital and stuff when she was coming out there? I think so. So she knew she was, he was married. Yes. Oh, she knew he was married for sure. And I mean, she was technically married too. I don't know if their divorce is final or not, but, um, I mean, she's been photographed out and about and. Man, and she has to go to work like tomorrow probably. Well, I don't know. I would imagine that both of these practices are losing patients left, right, and center. Yeah. And I would hope so because, I mean, how do you keep people's trust after doing something like that? Yeah, man, that's wild. Yeah. Our next story comes out of Overland Park, Kansas, Whoa. where it was discovered that a family was living in a house for six years years with a dead man. I told Kelly about this one. You and like 10 others. Really? I really thought like, I was the first, right? You were the first. Mm -hmm. You were the first. But a ton of people sent me this story because I'm actually from Shawnee, which is like a neighbor to Overland Park, Kansas. It was, the house was near Oak Park Mall, which is where I used to shop when I was growing up. This is so weird. But yeah, this story. So Mike Carroll's pacemaker was able to show that his heart stopped beating on July 1st of 2016 when he was 81 years old, but none of the family that he was living with ever reported his death. He was found in a house on West 99th Terrace where his daughter Lynn and at least four other people, including her husband, were, were living and they continued living. The house has been falling apart. The gutters are literally hanging from the roof. You can tell that nobody's been taking care of the outside you can only imagine what the inside of the house is like, especially with the remains of a dead man inside for more than six years. 
I can't handle it. But Jacob Kittlestad with Fox 4 News out of Kansas City spoke with relatives of Mike Carroll. So his niece, Janet, who lives out in Iowa, said that she was just so confused about the whole thing. How can he lay there for that many years and nobody report it? Another niece out of Phoenix said, quote, it was a different story every time. You know, he didn't feel good. He was sleeping. He was eating. The members of the house would also lie to the neighbors as well, just saying that either he was asleep or he was sick and that that's why they hadn't seen him in a while. The next door neighbor said that he never smelled anything. Otherwise, he would have called 911. And investigators only learned about what happened after they visited the home in October of last year and found his body still in the bed. And this was in response to a call from Mike's son-in-law, Kirk Ritter, who was married to Lynn, and he made the decision to finally tell someone that there was a body in the house, but it's believed that he only decided to call because his wife, Lynn, became so ill that she had to be put into a specialized care facility. So one of Mike's nieces believes that Lynn was close to death herself, and Kirk just wanted to alert the authorities before she died to make sure that he wasn't the only one to take the fall. But Mike was receiving Social Security checks for all those years that he was dead inside the home, so the family is now facing a fraud investigation for cashing all those checks. But oddly enough, keeping a dead body undisturbed in your home is not against the law in Kansas. What? Right? So they're just going to get in trouble for fraud and that's it. Yep. That's crazy. That's mm-hmm. that's a that's a law that needs to be changed. For sure. For yeah. sure. So um next up is Austin's positive message. <clears throat> well, I don't have a story today. So I just figured I'd spend a minute and just with a positive message. And we can just see where it goes, okay? I love it. All I was going to say was this, and it, and I, it's kind of a theme of something for the last couple of weeks for me personally, which is controlling what you can control and not contr- trying to control or fret or getting upset about the things you can't control. Mm-hmm. And so often it happens, and like, so I own several businesses, and so one example is I own some ice cream stores, and when the ice cream machines break, we are it causes it wreaks havoc on our business. I mean, mm-hmm. it literally, it sucks. Like a machine, we have two machines, okay? And they each have two drums that they pull out of for the ice cream. So you pull these levers and ice cream comes out. Well, when one machine breaks, now the other one is responsible for all the customers. It slows everything down. I mean, it sucks. And like, it's embarrassing. It's not, it's very frustrating. It's a domino effect. It is, this big time. one seemingly simple or minor problem actually affects everything with the business. I mean, it is your business. It's yeah. ice cream. But yeah. to even have just one of the machines go go out, you still have these others that work, but it's wreaking havoc on that machine. It's slowing down because you have multiple people in line. You have people who walk up to the window to order and you have a drive through yes. So imagine trying to order or manage multiple orders coming in at once. Yeah. The, com- the problem really compounds. And so it's easy for me to spin like down this cycle mentally of like, like get livid, right? Get pissed. And I have to remind myself like, okay, you know what? What can I control here? I can't unfortunately fix the machines. So I'm going to make sure somebody gets there Monday. I'm going to put out a post to customers, thanking them for their patience and like apologizing for what happened, something that was out of our control. Mm -hmm. Probably some people will still be pissed and whatever, you know, but some people are going to have grace. And uh, I'm going to tell my employees, hey, thanks so much for keeping a positive attitude. I'm going to do what I can. And it just feels so relevant because this happened literally less than 24 hours ago. And so 
I didn't have a positive story. So I just wanted to spin a positive message, which is so often myself and other people, I see them get so worked up and out of control about things they can't control. And like, don't, you know, only focus on what you can control and do everything that you can. And once you've done everything you can about what you can control, like, that's it. Let it all be. It's in God's hands. It's in, it's, it's whatever, but it's, you're only doing what you can do. And I think that's with everything. It's with friendships. It's with business. It's with, uh, you know, frustration and workouts or diet, not getting results. Do what you can and don't control the things. Don't worry about the things you can't control. And I know it's easier said than done, but it's a message I know I need to be reminded of. I remind a lot of uh, my employees about it frequently. I've told Kelly that before. Mm -hmm. And so I just figured I'd share that. Yeah. You can't control what happens to you. You can only control how you react to it. And I recently heard this quote that said, you know, God doesn't give you um, more than you can handle. Mm -hmm. He gives you what he knows you can handle. So it may seem like a lot, but you can handle it. And it's only given to you because you have that strength. And the capacity. And the capacity to handle it. And you will. You'll get through it. You will handle it. And you know, time will pass and you'll be able to look back and say, I handled that and and thank God it's over. Yeah. So I hope you take that with you this week. And I would love to have feedback of if you guys like a positive message, a positive story, if you prefer one or the other. And if you liked this or if you thought, ah, you're a cheese dick, Austin. And I'll hear that too. And I'm fine with that. But I, I, I'm serious. I want to hear what people think. I think it'll so. be appreciated regardless. Positive news, positive message. It's just a way to end on a light, lighter note after we talk about heavy stuff, murder and crime and dirt bags, dirt bags. Um, and then also to just like set us up for the week yeah. with that message in mind. So for sure. Cool. Good job, babe. Mama. Mystery. Out. Bye.